All hail the new flesh, and all hail this goddamn podcast. All hail this goddamn podcast. Listeners, and welcome to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name is John. And you might notice that we're more even-keeled tonight because, well, there's a lot of serious stuff happening in the nation today, and we just don't feel like joking about it that much. It's a rough day. It's, it's been a, a... This past weekend was like... Like, I try to unplug on the weekends, but you can't unplug when there's, like, actual domestic terrorism happening. So, uh, we, we can only beat around the bush so much. Yeah, I mean, let's get straight, straight to the point. So, in, uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia. Charlottesville? God, boy do I feel bad that I'm not exactly sure what the name of the town was. It's Charlottesville, dude. Because in my mind, in this moment of peak gravitas, I was like, what if it's like Charlottetown? (laughs) I know so much about this event, but I don't know the goddamn name of the town. Now is not the time for gaffes. I have to be absolutely certain. It's Charlottesville, Virginia, and I've just confirmed that on Wikipedia. Because you too were uncertain, for I sowed the seeds of doubt. Well, I was uncertain. I thought it was North Carolina for some reason, but that's just because I'm not that informed. Hmm. It's Charlottesville, Virginia. That's where the, ra- the what we're talking about happened. Where the Unite the Right rally happened. Yes, a rally that was a gathering of far-right groups for the express purpose of protesting... The removal of Confederate monuments and memorials from public spaces, specifically the Robert E. Lee statue in Emancipation Park. And uh, I think that the, I think the rally was put on largely by the Daily Stormer. The oh, I don't know that. What's the Daily? That sounds like a newspaper. The Daily Stormer is a website for uh, for far right. Conservatives slash white supremacists. That is really horrendous. For those who find Stormfront to be too milquetoast. Wait, what's Stormfront? Is that another website for these type of people? Stormfront is a aged and storied uh, news and media website for white supremacist groups. Wow. Alright. So this was put on by basically... White supremacist groups. That is that is my understanding. Uh, I I hope I am I hope I am wrong, <laughs> because I hate to think that that many people showed up to a thing that is just straight about white supremacy. Well, here's what Wikipedia has to say. Oh, uh, those assembled at the rally included members of white supremacist, white nationalist, neo-Confederate, neo-Nazi, and militia movements. I don't like any of those movements. The militia movements has me confused, because that just sounds like, you know, an organized group of militant people. Oh, sorry, I thought you were going to continue. I thought you were scrolling to do a thing. Oh, no, I just, the word militia, I, I can't unpack it, because to me, a militia just means a group of organized people. Like, do they have, I'm, I'm reading about it, but you, you, you can feel free to talk. There were pictures of the uh, the Charlottesville uh, protest where people did have AR-15s and combat fatigues. That would make sense for a militia group because they are a privatized paramilitary organization. And you can have private militias, you can have ideologically driven militias. Militia's really a blanket term. Maybe we should edit that Wikipedia article. <laughs> I don't feel like I have the criteria. Anyone can edit Wikipedia. It's truly democratic. That's kind of frightening that any group of people can just organize themselves into a militia. Like, that could be like 
their own privatized army. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at... Uh, there are a lot of what could qualify as private, ideologically driven militias in the United States. Well, why... I get that we have the right to bear arms, but I feel like we should not have the right to organize a militia. I... You know, I think that's actually, uh, I think that's actually in the Second Amendment, the right to raise a militia. I, I, yeah, because the Minutemen, probably, because that was a very huge part of the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. We didn't really have a standing army, but we had a bunch of people who could, at a minute's notice, be ready to go fight. So, I mean, I, I get that it has historical roots, but something about just an ideological-driven army... I mean, that's like the Crusades, you know? You know, we are we have a given right to form a militia, correct? That is correct. I say, right here, right now, is the beginnings of the Zero Credits Militia. We're going to start the Zero Credits Militia? You don't have to have guns to form a militia. I don't think there's a legal requirement for that. And I'm sure that you and I, Henry, have... Have weapons are just laying around the house. So you and me, we are the big, the starting members of the Zero Credits Militia. All right, but let's not actually incite any violence. But let's just say we're going to stand up to Nazis. Yeah, we'll stand up to Nazis. Also, I want to I want to take this moment in time in the podcast to make something abundantly clear. Do it, please. Make it make it as clear as, as glass. I am making it 100% known on this podcast today that I am stepping forward as the first person on Zero Credits to denounce Nazism. And I want to take a second to uh, follow that up with, I will be the second person on Zero Credits to stand up and denounce Nazism. Do you think that that could be called bandwagoning, Henry? I, I don't think it matters right now, John. I, I I don't think I don't think you can bandwagon against Nazism. I mean, come c- calm down, John. I just wanna I just want our listeners to think about it. Why didn't you come forward first? Because I didn't know, I, I didn't know that's what we were doing right then, John. Mm, Why are you I calling? See. I I'm the one who set us up against Nazis in the militia. You just wanted to create a militia. I'm the one who gave us a, a, a target. Look, half a dozen of one, six of the other. Let's just call it a wash. You decided to pit our militia against the Nazis, and I'm ideologically opposed to them first. All right, John. You know, there are many sides to what just happened. Whoa. <laughs> Actually, there's only one side to what just happened, because we're, we're, okay. we're both on the same side. So, okay, the, the, the Charlottesville uh, protests, I guess if you want to call it that, gathering of monsters. It was, like, a, it was a rally. Call it a rally. Yeah, the, the Charlottesville rally uh, had a quite a few incidents of violence, quite a few really heartbreaking pictures, because the Charlottesville incident was, at its heart, racially motivated. Oh, most definitely. You, you can't... This was 100% a race issue. You can't deny that, even if you, God forbid, are siding with the Nazis. And if if you look at the fact that there are multiple pictures out there of, uh, you know, black men and black women who were injured during these events, uh, during racially motivated attacks, during hate crimes, and then you look at the fact that Someone who ideologically in the past has aligned himself with this group drove his car into a group of counter-protesters, killing one of them and two uh, mili- no, two police helicopter pilots. It is a racially motivated attack on a huge scale on American soil. Yeah. You could call it domestic terrorism because it was an attack trying to break up the counter-protest trying to make people afraid to stand up for what they believe in. And I think you could call it domestic terrorism because it fits the definition perfectly. Yeah, it's also murder. So let's let's not beat around the bush about that either. Yeah, I think that people who are 
anyone who is in the the realm of of politics who is trying to downplay this saying that it's not domestic terrorism is trying to serve a master so ghastly that i don't even want to imagine it yeah probably like a real life demon you know like turns out demons exist and that's why they're like oh well nazis aren't so bad because i work for a demon but i mean thank god that we live in a country that completely unequivocally denounces both domestic terrorism and Nazi... Wait a second. Hold on. Uh, I'm just reading the news from the past four days. Yeah. And it seems as though we do not live in such a country. No, we don't We don't live in a country that would even denounce Nazism face out. Yeah, we, we live in a country whose leader has now not once, but seemingly twice... Uh, refused to openly denounce uh, Nazism, neo-Nazis, the alt-right, and acts of domestic terrorism that occurred on that day. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we have a president who wants to make this a great issue for some reason by saying, oh, there were bad people on both sides. One of the sides being actual Nazis. Now, do we think that these comments are improvised on his behalf and just come from a place of abject ignorance or do they come from a a worse place i honestly think they come from a worse place because you know he knows the demographics of these groups he knows who his base is or who makes up a large chunk of his base i think he doesn't want to alienate some of his base by calling them out i i, I honestly think that and I think the reason that he will not openly openly denounce the alt-right and, and neo-Nazis and these uh, racially motivated fascists is the same reason they won't denounce Russia is because they were instrumental in his election and he still needs their help. That's exactly it. He doesn't want to alienate the people that have put him in power. It's like he's, he's tied himself to dynamite or something and... and that's not to defend him. He willingly tied himself to dynamite, and now it just happens to be going off. Mm-hmm. And he wants to deny that it's going off by saying, well, somebody else lit the fuse. And it's it's phenomenally depressing. It really is. I mean, how in the... just We live in a world where the entire world, besides, like, Italy and Japan, were against the Nazis. Yeah, it used to be patriotic to despise a Nazi. Also, I would like to... Uh, I, I kind of have two points about this that I'd like to make, and this one slots pretty easily into what we're talking about. All right, go ahead. What do we think as a, a group of two people about the usage of the word Nazi? Well, I, you know, neo-Nazi is probably the more correct term since Nazism really just refers to the... The National Socialistic Workers Party in uh, in Germany. So I guess we should be calling them neo Nazis because they're not they're not German. They're they're worse. See, but, whoa, <laughs> they're worse because like this the Ger the oh my gosh, this is gonna be a weird sentence. But the original Nazis didn't have anyone before them. Like they were trailblazers. That's yeah, that, not what I'm trying to say. But you know what I. The neo-Nazis know what happened, like, know what the Nazis did, and they're still mm -hmm. doing it, so I feel like they're worse in that regard. Yeah, I get what you're putting down. And if you, if you admit that language evolves, I think that we have to use the word Nazi in this context, because number one, when we abhor a group... Oh boy, this is going to be a weird sentence because it actually gets into uh, some some badness. Yeah. Anyway, when people abhor a group, they generally create a blanket term to refer to that group. That's true, yeah. And I don't think that they... They, they generally don't do that out of ignorance. Society does that because essentially when everything reduces down, we find a word that is most hurtful to a group that we don't like, which is where you get a lot of the most odious racial slurs from. 
Yeah, there's also something very dehumanizing by throwing a blanket term over a group. And and that way it's kind of like the us versus them mentality where we wouldn't call them that name if they were us, so they must be them. And and walk through the rationalization with me because I'm on a journey of self-discovery right now. All right. So I think, or I thought when I started this sentence, it's okay to call them Nazis because I think that it cuts at them much more when they consider themselves like white supremacists or white nationalists or just members of the the alt-right. And if you call them a Nazi, it hurts them and forces them to perhaps look at their words and actions. I think that would be a great theory, but the, the, the reality is a lot of them fall into some of the same characteristics as the original Nazis. Like, I'm reading about, uh... Oh, where was this? Darn it. Well, I read somewhere that... It was it was on the Wikipedia page. Of course it was. That there was a group on August 11th, the night before the day where everything kind of got bad... Um, there was a group walking around the University of Virginia's campus saying, Jews will not replace us. Yep. The phrase, you will not replace us, has been reported by the Anti-Defamation League to reflect the white supremacist worldview that the white race is doomed to extinction by an alleged rising tide of color purportedly controlled and manipulated by Jews. So, like, they're actively and aggressively going against Jewish people because they feel like Jewish people are manipulating things to get rid of them. So it's kind of like they're falling into some of the same trappings that the German Nazis fell into. And I think that we're in a very interesting area when it comes to free speech right now. And that should hate free speech be protected? In that, okay, so we have the, the Google memo, which was a, a free speech case in and of itself, and then we have everything that happened in Charlottesville, and then everything that's continuing to happen to alt-right and extreme right-wing speakers at events where they're being booed and chased and harassed and unable to express themselves. All right. And at some point, you have to question what the definition of free speech is because when you're a member of an inflammatory group and you use the word free speech that means that you want to use it as a weapon to free yourself from the consequences of expressing an opinion well here's the thing about free speech john uh as it's defined by the constitution all free speech gets you is freedom from persecution from the government yeah i think that people really miss that part of free speech where free speech the right of free speech does not preclude you from the consequences of you expressing an opinion at the hands of the people exactly like like just like our market is supposedly supposed to be regulated by the consumer the the act of free speech is supposed to be regulated by the audience and if the audience doesn't want to hear what you say or a large enough amount of people don't want to hear what you say, you do not have the right to continue talking. There's no there's no constitutional law that says anyone has to listen to what anyone else says. Who's that far-right semi-satirical guy who fell out of popularity? You gotta, you're going to have to be a little more specific. His name's like... Yeah. Yanopolis. Oh, uh, y y Milo Yantopolis or something? Yeah, whatever his name is. He's not popular anymore, so who cares? So I don't even want to talk about him. But when he was... When he had a violent reaction during parts of his tour, he would say that audiences were infringing on his free speech and that they were uh, generally committing an atrocity in the name of free speech. It's like, that's not what it is. If someone wants to pelt you with a tomato for saying something dumb, that is totally within their right. Yeah, the only thing free speech protects you from is persecution from the government. That's it. You won't be jailed for what you say. That's all it is. Because if, 
if the military showed up and started arresting these people for expressing themselves, that would be in violation of their right to free speech. Everything else, everything that happened was totally constitutional. Exactly. And free speech does not protect against certain uh, types of speech. Like, you cannot go into a movie theater and yell fire without repercussion. Mm-hmm. And the same way, I feel like you can't incite violence. You cannot start a riot. You cannot disrupt the peace in that way without the government or someone stepping in to per- to persecute you. And I I, th- I think that that's fair. And the the question that I then have about free speech, and I guess what this leads me to, is so we it's it's tough. Because these people chose to be at the Charlottesville rally and protest, and that is, I believe, their right. And they also, they did follow all of the, the, the legal channels. They filed for a permit. They got permission. Um, so they did everything by the book, and that is their right. And I have no issue with that. I have no issue with people expressing their opinions openly and exp- and uh, exercising their rights to free speech assuming of sort assuming of course that the exercising of that right will have consequences yeah but the question that i have and this is something that i still feel kind of hinky about is if all right so there's this twitter account that is called yes you're racist yes you're racist Yes, you're racist. For a long time, this Twitter account has essentially retweeted people who say, I'm not racist, but, and then they say a racist thing. Okay. And it has since evolved into calling out politicians and media personalities who are being racist when they don't think they're being racist. Gotcha. And what had happened after Charlottesville was after the media released all those pictures of people at the Unite the Right rally... Yes, you're racist said, if you recognize any of the people here, message me their names and I will make them famous. Yeah. And that has happened for a few people in that they have been identified and called out on social media. Some of them have, multiples of them have have lost their jobs and, and faced consequences for being at this rally. And... On the one hand, I really like the idea that these people are losing their jobs because they're awful people. Yeah. On the other hand, it is a little scary to me, the idea that we can essentially publicly shame people who follow a belief system that we do not believe in. I th- I get what you're saying, yeah. This, this is kind of a dangerous precedent. Because if people can just, if they can get fired for standing up for things they believe in, then that's that's not in the spirit of the constitutional law of free speech. However, I, I think when it's something as egregious as, you know, white supremacy, as open racism, that's not something you would want in an employee whether or not they went to a rally or not. Like, if you discover one of your employees is racist toward other employees at your at your place of employment, you're probably going to try to get rid of them. And that's the thing that I uh, struggle with, because if it is within their rights to express this right of free speech and to be seen and to be heard, they should then expect consequences. Because if you're an employer and you're employing someone basically at will and information comes to you freely that they were publicly decrying something that you fully don't believe in and you think is harmful it's essentially the same thing as if you had an employee and you found out they were yelling racial slurs at a lazy river at a water park yeah i i I mean i think at the point of people being identified for showing up on national television that as someone, like as an employer, I'm looking to create a very, not safe work environment, but a productive work environment. And now that one of my employees has appeared on national television and they've been revealed and identified, 
they can when they come into work on Monday, everyone's gonna be aware of it, mm-hmm. and, and there's like it's the workplace will not not be as productive anymore. I, the same thing happened to the guy with the Google Doc memo or whatever. He created what Google perceived as a non-productive work environment with people actively avoiding working with him because they didn't feel safe or comfortable being around him anymore. So they got rid of him. I mean, that's just what happens. That, that's the risk you take when you, when you make ideas like this known. And the, the response that some of them, I forget the name of, he was the first guy really to be identified and he, he announced publicly and he said, I hope that when people see me from now on, they don't see the angry racist face in this picture. But if you're sweating under the light of a Lowe's tiki torch screaming, the Jews will not replace us, it is very difficult to build that reputation back up. I mean, yeah, it's the... It, you've been revealed. It's the Streisand effect. You can't make it go away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everyone who saw that without your name attached to it, who knew you, knew it was you already. Yep. You're out in public. It's getting national awareness. You knew the risk that you took by going out there. Which is amazing to me that so many of them congregated because generally members of the alt-right are just ideological cowards. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a reason why the KKK wore masks. And, when I and wanna... then it, it, it brings into question, under what political circumstances that we're living through right now makes these people feel so comfortable? Yeah, that they don't have to wear masks. That they, they feel like they can go out and spew forward hatred and say, <laughs> recite actual Nazi chants. And not feel like they can, they'll be, they'll face any sort of consequence. I mean, it's, it's outrageous that they feel this comfortable. And, uh, I think that it's perhaps a useful tool if these people can lose their jobs and be ridiculed for this kind of thing, because they need to understand that employers and the world at large will not be okay with it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, if you think about what society is, uh, about the concept of society... Society is like a list of things we all agree to in order to promote safety, to promote people living on, you know? It's kind of like, what am I trying to say here? It's like, if you follow the rules of society, you'll be able to fit into society and sustain yourself. Mm -hmm. Actively going against members of society based on ideology or skin color or something like that, that's not one of the rules. That that's in violation of one of the rules, and so it's the society's duty to penalize these people and remove them from the society, not in a physical way, but like in a by taking away their jobs, they're taking away their ability to sustain sustain themselves because they're threatening the safety of the society. And the uh, the social contract was that was that Rousseau. That is Rousseau. Uh, part of the social contract is by by essentially signing the contract to be part of society, you submit yourself to the consequences and the judgments of society lest you remove yourself from it. If you enjoy the benefits of society, you have to accept when you're taking a task for being a fucking Nazi. Exactly. I mean, when you go as, as far as to call out for genocide for an entire group of people like a systematic removal when you do that that's like that's an extreme violation of the rules of society and that the main rule of society is i'm agreeing not to kill you and take your stuff if you don't kill me and take my stuff there was a tweet by uh there's this uh, game developer slash writer slash personality named sean baby <laughs> sean baby Sean Baby, one word. Okay. And uh, he made an iOS game called Calculords that's pretty cool. Anyway, uh, the, the tweet that he published read as such, to paraphrase, Boy, the job hunt sure must be tough when your previous job was heated up hot dogs and your reason for leaving was Nazi. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's going to be a very awkward... Uh... 
awkward space on the application. Why were you let go for your last job? Yeah, what would you even put? Okay, let's do a little bit of roleplay, Henry. Let's uh, assume that you were fired for being a Nazi. Okay. How, what would you put as your reason for leaving? I mean, if I'm being honest, I would put uh, management disagreement or something like that. Or like, uh, what is that? Irreconcilable differences? You know, be something... Oh, that's a good one. Do something vague that like they they will have seen before or experienced before. That doesn't go into questioning, mm-hmm. or say something like, "Oh, it's just a mis- You know, I wasn't, it wasn't the right fit culturally. Oh yeah, it was. It was just a bad culture fit. You know, they were all about like have fun, bring your dog to work day, and I was all about kill the Jews. <laughs> and you know, it just we just didn't mix. I, you know, they're they're gonna find. Enough time passes, these people will find jobs. That's just the nature of media attention. And I mean, probably most of the people at this rally didn't have jobs that are worth putting on a resume. And that's probably unfair. But let me let me do a, a new segment that will hopefully only exist for this episode. Alright, a one-time segment? One-time segment, you can join in, and I'm going to call this segment, Let's Give It to the Nazis. <laughs> Wait, let's give it to the Nazis? Like, let's, let's, let's let the Nazis have it. Like, let's... No, there's a better way to... Okay, new name for this one-time segment, okay. Fuck the Nazis. Fuck the Nazis. <laughs> yes. I so it is yeah. a, it's a segment where I will, I will tell you my thoughts on, th- on these Nazis... All right. And they won't be fair. They'll be kind of Yo Mama-esque in that they're not necessarily based in reality, but they're they're meant to elicit a reaction. Okay. And I'll start. Yeah, go ahead. So I think the incredible thing about Nazis, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, white nationalists, alt-right, neocon, shitheads, whatever they call themselves or choose to call themselves or what, like, weird sect of the alt-right they're part of. It's amazing to me that all of them are supposed to be peak examples of the white race, upholding their white national virtues, and all of them are abject disappointments. Oh, yeah, like, they're all, they all have, like, really, really mediocre bodies. They're all chinless, white polo shirt wearing, like, think about it. It must really burn to be a Nazi and be like, oh, I had every opportunity in the world to succeed and people who were born significantly disenfranchised, disadvantaged in a system that does not care for them have reached a level of success that I can't even hope to. I guess genocide is the answer. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, if we're talking about, like, this demographic... They're white, they're male, they've got, like, all the privilege in the world, and they're throwing it away to attack those who are worse off than them. They're like, man, I was handed a royal flush, and I folded. On purpose to spite the person with pocket twos. And these generally... And this is generalization, this is wrong, but all of the neo-Nazis that I've read about and unfortunately met have bad jobs, are terribly unmotivated, and are just unpleasant people. And I think it's extremely interesting that the alt-right and white nationalists and white supremacists have used the word cuck as their kind of insult of choice, meaning cuckled, meaning someone who lets other people sleep with their partner or their other partner sleeps with people without their knowledge. I think it's fascinating that they've chosen that to call other people because white supremacists are essentially ideological cuckolds. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> oh, there's They're this... just mincing nerds sweating through their button-down white shirts while more interesting people have their way with the thing they think they have a right to. They're these... Idiots are walking around with fucking tiki torches. Like, what? What's even going on? 
Yeah, they, they go to Lowe's, they get 300 Tiki torches, they put it on their Lowe's card, they get in their Nissan cubes, and they drive down to a genocide march. It's just... It's unfathomable. How, how does anyone... How, do, how does a group of people get to this point where they're just throwing away all opportunities that they might have in their life? It's because they're they're garbage, insecure people, and anyone who's a part of a group that singles another group out for things that they were born with, and they somehow... Uh, I get a lot of Nazi hate, Henry. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with hating Nazis. I, I know that there isn't, but to some extent I do believe in my heart that these people are humans and have flaws and could probably be rehabilitated ideologically. One would hope, but I think their biggest flaw is they're fucking Nazis, John. It's a real tough flaw. I mean, let me sell something to you, Henry. Try to sell it. So I'm the owner of a pet shop. Alright. I have this lovely dog for you. His name's Tim. I love Tim. He's a dog. He's a border collie mix. Ah, that's... he's adorable. Oh, con. He's blind in one eye. Oh, that's okay. Pro. He loves to be scratched behind the ear and to hang out. And he likes human food, but only a little so he doesn't get, like, diseases. Well, that's good. He sounds like a good dog. He watches TV with you and gets excited at all the same stuff you do so you feel like you have a connection. Alright, what's going on? Con, he's a Nazi. Fuck him. Yeah, see? No matter how good Tim is, him being a Nazi screws the whole deal. Yeah, I saw... I think it was... I think it was Chris Rock who said, If there are ten people and one Nazi and the ten people are okay... With hanging out with the one Nazi, you've just found 11 Nazis. Yeah, that is, that's essentially true. Because we can't exist in a world, we can't, I can't imagine the world will become a place where we accept Nazism. I don't think anyone should be asked to tolerate a group who actively and fully believes in the genocide of your people. And I mean, even if it's coming from an ultra-biased, whatever, heritage-not-hate place, it's still institutionalized racism, and they are the most virulent examples of it. Yeah. We shouldn't abide racism. We should never abide violence. We should never abide, like, calls for violence. That Like, that calling publicly for another group or another individual's death, that shit should just be, like, socially not allowed. There is one thing from the Charlottesville events that I did like quite a bit. What what was that? There's a picture, and that picture is of a shirtless, mega-ripped black dude with a shirt around his neck like a hero scarf. Yeah. And, and he has improvised, like, a flamethrower out of an aerosol can, and he is shooting a small jet of flame at a group... Of, like, cargo short-wearing, confederate flag-waving, Oakley sunglasses, camo hat assholes who are, like, trying to wave him back. Yeah. It's like a renaissance painting. It's perfect. How do I find this picture, John? Uh, look up Charlottesville flamethrower guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty renaissance. It's so good. It has, like, perfect composition. I mean, I don't know about the use of a flamethrower. Yeah, the flamethrower I'm a little iffy on, but it's an amazing picture. Because I, I just, I don't condone, condone violence, but again, these are Nazis, so maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah, see, that's the tough thing, because the uh, the thing about fascists, it could be argued, is the reason fascists succeed is because they fool everyone into thinking that violence isn't the answer until they have a monopoly on violence. Yeah, I just, there is a risk with what they call identity politics, where everything's broken up into us versus them, and, and like, that's very dangerous thinking, even though it's the fucking Nazis. Like, you don't, like you said, there's still a part of you that, that 
thinks that they're they're human and they they might stand a chance of rehabilitation, and so, but they're not gonna listen. You know they're not gonna fucking listen. Ideologically, uh, this this entire conversation's pretty great because you you. Nazis are fascinating in terms of what they make your brain do when you talk about them. Because if if you couch something in, but they're a Nazi, you can go through some amazing mental gymnastics. Yeah, like, what if we had a president who liked universal health care, was strong against, like, big banks... And wanted to break up monopolies, including internet and cable companies. And what else? You know, what thought thinks women should have uh, birth control and all on their health care. Like, the most progressive president you can imagine, but he's a Nazi. Yeah, impossible. Yeah. And I mean, if you if you put it in the context of, we could say, I am against the use of coercive violence for political display, but I mean they're Nazis, so I guess they have it coming. I, I mean, it's it's because a lot of a lot of this, a lot of our our understanding of Nazis is rooted in deep history. Like our grandparents fought the Nazis, mm-hmm. and the Nazis were unequivocally the bad guys. There was the you you can't really look at at it from a perspective where you you sympathize with the hardcore Nazis. I can sympathize with some of the members, uh, some of the Germans who were kind of coerced into it or brainwashed into it. But I can't sympathize with the people who who created the ideology in the first place. Yeah, I mean it's it's so it burns so many mental calories to consider the creature of the Nazi. Especially in the modern day. I mean, the, the, the propagandist, the, the, the fascist, would paint them as subhuman. As, as you know, something that to be destroyed, not even killed. Something to, to tear down. But we're not propagandists. We're not fascists. So we still see the human in them. But the fact is, they're still Nazis. So it's a very conflicted feeling that... It's like, yeah, okay, violence against Nazis should be okay because they're fucking Nazis. But then at the same time, it's like, but these are also humans. I, it's it's very jarring. I can say objectively, even if, if I was presented with the situation, I don't know if I'd feel the same way, but I think objectively, you should not kill Nazis because you should not kill people. That, that, that Yes. I still, even though, like, even though we're talking bad about Nazis, I don't think they should die. I think that there's... This overriding hatred where people can discard people's lives based on ideology. But I think that, no, do not kill a Nazi. Do not do not punch a Nazi unless the Nazi punches first. Yeah. What if the Nazi punches with their words? Oh, then punch with fist. Because <laughs> that's a thing. Like We've seen multiple times in the past year, we've seen people who are alt-right get assaulted on camera and that just fuels the right seeing the left as violent but the thing is it's like yeah but words can incite violence and the the right the extreme right has had a monopoly on violence for years not if you talk to them because i mean they're uh, they're victims and all this well it's- yeah I, i've actually i've i've had facebook arguments with people actually i don't even know what this guy was but he was just talking about the violent left and like excuse me and I just posted tons of examples of the right inciting violence with their words. Mm-hmm. It's the, the rhetoric. Rhetoric is dangerous. Language literally shapes our minds. The words we hear, the words we say, has an effect on what we do. I mean, that's how, that's how Nazis rose to power to begin with. That's how neo-Nazis recruit. That's how fascists gain followings, is they have rhetorical skills. Yeah. The most dangerous skill that a fascist has is rhetoric. Mm-hmm. That's why Hitler was so dangerous. He was a very eloquent, very passionate speaker, and he enthralled thousands because what's more damning to the people you hate 
picking up a rifle and, and shooting 15 people or inciting 15 people to violence against your entire race. Yeah, uh, the, the power to change someone's mind, the power to make someone's decision for them with your words, that's the most powerful weapon on the planet. Boy, I wish we had like a way... I'm just thinking forward and I can't, just no matter what I do, I can't think of a way that we can solve Nazism within this podcast. Well, I I don't think it's on us because we're just two idiots talking about what everyone's thinking. Yeah, I was just hoping we could maybe figure this whole thing out, put it to bed. I I wish we could. I really wish there was a, a surefire, easy solution to this whole problem. But I think things have gotten as bad as they are. Because no one can think of a solution, or, or even if they're, even if someone could, the people who are entrenched in their ideologies, they won't listen, and they never will. Man, what a bummer! It is kind of a bummer. I, I, I had a, I had a psychology professor who posited the idea that no one has ever really changed their mind; just people who think a certain way happen to die off. Oh. Well, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, it's, and so like popular ideas die off because everyone who believed in that idea died off at the same time. Hmm, that wouldn't make sense. But how do you explain how I went from not liking gingerbread to liking gingerbread? Probably through personal experience. What's gingerbread? Oh, you know, just gingerbread in general. Oh, like the gingerbread cookie. Why am I thinking? Oh my gosh. I, I was thinking of them as two words. Oh, which which bread full of ginger? I could go for a nice ginger sandwich right now. What's a ginger sandwich? What's happening? It's like two slices of bread with a knob of ginger between them. <laughs> that sounds gross, John. Oh, you haven't lived. I guess I haven't. Uh, I feel like I want like a palate cleanser after all this Nazi talk. Yeah, I think we can we can pivot to something else. I, I don't know what what can follow that that really heavy political talk. Yeah, I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about. Oh, let's just let's just do some free verse, free form. Let's just talk about what our, what's on our minds, and then maybe we'll come up with something to have like a really like positive. Thing. All right. Well, you mean like what we normally do for our podcast? Yeah, I've oh. been thinking a lot about Nazis, but they're out, obviously. Yeah, so we can't talk about that. So I guess, John, I have one question. Uh, what is that? Uh, what are we doing? Oh, we are trying to wash Nazis from our mind momentarily until we wake up tomorrow for more bad Nazi news. Yeah. All right. So what? What's? What else has been going on? In- and the zeitgeist lately. What's on the, the tip of our cultural tongue? Um, let's see. It would be flippant to talk about that lady who died. Um, I think something happened on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. I don't know them. A Confederate statue was pulled down. Um, been thinking a lot about Metal Gear Solid Five lately. You should probably play it again. Yeah, I really do want to play it all the way through. It's really good. I've never played it because it it hasn't ever dropped below like 30 bucks. Oh, it's so worth it. So much game. Yeah. But I'm on hold with buying uh, computer games for a while because I just got a new PlayStation 4, John. Ah, nice. Same. Yeah, I'm finally, finally one of those Sony elites who can play all the... Those exclusive games like Bloodborne and Until Dawn. Did you get a PlayStation 4 Pro or a regular one? I got the Pro, John, because I'm not pulling any punches. You can't. The Pro's the way to go, Pro. Yeah, I don't even have a 4K TV, but I don't think that matters. You should play Horizon Dawn. That's on my list, but right now I got Bloodborne and I got Until Dawn, so I'm going to make my way through those first. Bloodborne's good. I like it. Yeah, I uh, I played for about ten minutes. Did kind of like the prologue or whatever. You know, you, you get your weapons and stuff. Slap the shit out of a werewolf thing, but it killed me. It, good Oof. times. Yeah, that's about normal. That's gonna be every play session of Bloodborne you ever have from now on. Yeah, I went with the uh, the. I usually go with the axe, but this time I went with like the the saw cleaver. 
Ooh, you know uh, the fun one to go with. Is it the, uh, what's the fun one? It's the, uh... Don't say what's the, the... The cane? Yeah, the cane's awesome. The a gentleman... Finesse, <laughs> a finesse build with the cane? Oh, so good. Oh, I don't know anything about the stats. I, I, I thought I could kind of wing it because I was like, oh, I've played Dark Souls, but everything's a different name. Yeah, you basically need to, uh... You need to treat Bloodborne like Dark Souls, except you need to thematically have significantly less interest in your well-being. Oh, okay, so I need to not care about getting hit, and I just need to focus on hitting. Yeah, because if you get hit, as long as you hit back, you get your health back. Yeah, I think we talked about that before, and how it drastically changed your your way of thinking about combat. Yeah, man, I love it. Yeah, I, I think... Played another game with that same mechanic. Was it Street Fighter? No, I think it's technically like I think I'm thinking of Hollow Knight, which has this the system of like if you hit enemies, you fill up like a, a magic bar that you can use to heal, heal yourself. I don't even know what Hollow Knight is. Oh, okay. Hollow Knight is a very beautiful game, John. Oh, is it as beautiful as Bloodborne? Yeah, it's a 2D side-scrolling Metrovania-esque game with Dark Souls mechanics. Oh, that sounds very good. You play as a little bug knight, and you're uh, you're investigating what happened to this grand kingdom of bugs as it falls to decay to like a blight-like kind of a disease. I love bugs and knights and kingdoms. <laughs> and it has this this very <coughs> Jesus Christ, John, don't die. Oh my god. Uh, gross. It has this very colorful cast of characters that you'll meet throughout your journey. And just like in Dark Souls style, like based on what you do or where you go or how you talk to them, that determines what happens to them in the grand scheme of things. Where's this available? I'm very interested. Uh, it's an indie game made by Team Cherry. It's, it's on Steam. I believe it's also on PS4. Uh, on the PlayStation Store, and I think that might be it. I'm not entirely sure, but it's definitely worth a pickup, and it's got like four or five different endings, so re- re- replayability. So it's H-O-L-L-O-W, Knight? Yeah, Hollow Knight. Oh, I'm looking at pictures and the art style rules. Yeah, it looks it looks hand-drawn, but I don't think it is, but it's it's very damn near it. Well, everybody, go by Hollow Knight. It's very, it like, and it's, it feels more lonely than Dark Souls. Like, in Dark Souls, if you're wearing, like, armor, or, like, you've still got the weight of a full person, like, walking through the environment. Mm-hmm. And Hollow Knight, it's your little bugs, little, like, kind of, like, hollow footsteps, and, and, like, with this usually haunting kind of melody that just makes everything feel so, like, empty and desolate in a way that's very atmospheric and, and lends greatly to the storytelling. I'm probably going to buy this and then just play a bunch more Stardew Valley. Yeah, because Stardew Valley is a very fun, upbeat game, and we were looking for something upbeat, and I, I brought you Hollow Knight and Bloodborne. Hey, those are upbeat as long as you're a certain kind of person. Like a psychopath or just yeah. completely insane? Yeah. Yeah. I also got Until Dawn. Have you heard about that game? Oh, yeah. I uh, I played through Until Dawn. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, so am I right in thinking it's like live, just kind of playing through a horror movie? Yeah, it is, a, it is an interactive horror movie with a fair amount of choices and the uh, the amount of work that went into it really surprising, really cool. Yeah, because there's like a bunch of different branching paths, and are they all fully voiced? Yeah, they're all fully voiced, fully acted. There's a bunch of different stuff that can happen. Uh, I mean, one of the things that impressed me is that you know characters can die and be gone forever at certain points, and that drastically changes how the story plays. That's cool. That sounds like the the type of branching. You know, stories that some people try to pull off but don't quite fit. Yeah, the, the thing I like about it is that it's it's something that I've always thought would be interesting in a game and that is something that is totally contained within this uh, set universe and things happen within that and you're kind of always marching towards a singular goal at the end, but the way you get there changes. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And, 
And something like that makes it have weight because the character you're playing can just die. Every character can just die and the game is over. Damn, so like, th- it's not guaranteed that someone's going to make it to the end. Yeah, you. It's and it's relatively difficult to make it to the end. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure book, but with multiple players. That's really the best way to imagine it. Ugh. <laughs> John, are you, like, dying? I, I did that burp and something's wrong in my body. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to hear it. <laughs> it's okay, I'll survive. Maybe I'll stream some Phantom Pain. Hey, that could be fun for our viewers and our listeners. I'm gonna complain about something. Alright. Did you ever play, uh, Metal Gear Peace Walker? Is that the one that came out on the Vita? No, that was Acid. I never played it. Not PSP. I never had a PSP. Uh, so, it came out on the PSP. It was... I really liked it. Uh, it had... Essentially, the the open structure of Metal Gear Solid Five fell out of Peace Walker because Peace Walker was you pick missions, you pick loadouts, you do research, things take time, and it's this big kind of monster huntery game. Mon- so like you grind and build up your what your inventory and stuff. Kinda, you grind, build up your inventory, you go through boss fights multiple times, you get like materials. Bosses are these big multi-stage things with multiple conclusions. Okay. And uh, Phantom Pain has a lot of that. The the mission structure, the the branching, the amount of time that you can take to do things. Because it isn't one big straight linear story. It's a million different little missions. Yeah, it's more of an open world game than like a traditional Metal Gear game which has you on a path. And the thing that I really liked about Metal Gear Solid 4 was that there was this thing called Metal Gear Online, which is a rather limited competitive multiplayer game set in Metal Gear using a ton of the mechanics. Yeah, it was like a like a shooter, but with Metal Gear stuff in it. Yeah, and the it was a really cool part of it, and they added that to Phantom Pain. You have a competitive multiplayer thing. That's cool. Yeah, I've seen a famous YouTuber uh, video game Donkey play it. I don't know who that is, nor do I care. Uh, well, you don't you don't know Donkey? No, I don't. Oh well, he's pretty funny. Oh, maybe I'll check him out. Uh, but Peace Walker had something that was great, which it had uh, it had co op like missions that you could cooperatively play with people and explore this really interesting space and you had a bunch of items that were specific to co-op like boxes that if multiple people got in them like turned into tanks it was very silly (laughs) what yeah is there any of that in phantom pain nope why wouldn't they do that yeah like the coolest thing about peace walker was it was this this big multi-part story that you pieced together and then you could play with your friends who had different gear and different stuff and oh i thought it was going to be in there and i was so excited and it never happened maybe it was planned but uh, you know, I, I think production on metal gear 5 was was rushed a little bit since they wanted to get rid of hideo kojima for no reason well this next bullshit metal gear game metal gear survive is just supposed to be like phantom pain with co-op so i guess they got there eventually I thought that was supposed to be a survival, you know, early access game that was Metal Gear. Yeah, that's probably what they're doing. I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Rust, but with Metal Gear. That shit sucks. I thought it was going to be, like, The Long Dark, but with Metal Gear. Oh, The Long Dark's a good game. I think The Long Dark is the first survival uh, early access game to exit early access. Which is... It's cool for me because the last time I played The Long Dark was like a year ago, so I guess ostensibly if I go back to it now, it'll be a full game. Yeah, I think that they, they, like, within two weeks, they just left early access. My investment paid off. Yeah, dividends, man. You get that dividends. It's almost like that time I paid for Broken Age and got half a game. And you'll always have half a game. Yay. Double fine is double dumb. So, I guess this is the point in the podcast where we admit to ourselves that whenever we need a pick-me-up, we just start talking about video games. I feel like video games are a pretty neutral topic that has the uh, potential to lift our spirits. 
You ever think that we should just do like a video game podcast? I do, but I don't feel like I have enough thoughts about video games to carry out an entire podcast. What if we flipped the script and we had like an episode where it was video games first, social commentary second? We could do that. It would have to be on a week where there's a less pressing matter. Oh yeah, no, I... I imagine it must be tough to be a video game podcast this week and be like, oh, Pikmin's coming out. Yeah, I I, I like our, our angle of tackling the entire zeitgeist and kind of just talking about the biggest issues for that week or like just what what because everyone's experience of the zeitgeist is different. So we just give our perspective of what we're going through through the lens of the culture that's sort of affecting everybody. Yeah, but I just want people to send me sweet demo codes for games. I want them to send me demo discs. I want, I want sweet. Mer- I want swag. Yeah, I would love that too. We just we, you follow a lot of developers on Twitter and stuff. Why don't you like contact them through Zero Credits? Oh, I could do that and say, "Hey, look, we uh we want to review whatever you're working on. Why don't you send us a little review copy?" Okay, so I'm going to DM Steve Gaynor and say we want to review Tacoma on our podcast. I don't know what Tacoma is, but I'm 100% on board. Tacoma is the game from the people who made... The new game from the people who made Gone Home. Oh, okay, yeah. Just just do that and say, hey, look, we're a dumb little podcast. Uh, We want to review your your new game. Why don't you shoot us a review copy? Or just send us some shirtless pics. Or (laughs) give them an ultimatum. Say... (laughs) send us a review copy or send us some shirtless pics (laughs) that's a really ineffective ultimatum because you can just choose to do neither yeah well look we we aren't geniuses it's a real it's me or the dog and then you just leave without the dog (laughs) (laughs) it's me or the dog and she just walks away with neither it's like but now it's my dog oops there it is Man, ultimatums are great. Uh, ultimatums are the worst, and actually I think studies pr- prove that they're very ineffective. Yeah, don't do ultimatums in relationships, don't do ultimatums in business. Yeah, so did we succeed in picking up this podcast a little bit before we sign off? Oh, it made me think a lot about video games, so yes. Alright, well, I think the takeaway is... I don't know what the takeaway is. I don't the know t- if we- I don't think we reached a conclusion on anything. I don't think we can reach a conclusion, and if we can, we're smarter men than I think we are. So the takeaway is this is a very messy situation all around, and we're just going to have to see where it goes. I think uh, I think next week will be very telling. Yeah, I, th- I feel like... I feel like we're gonna stop recording this podcast and immediately like all the news is gonna come rushing in by the time we release this podcast it'll be like old hat that's always the fear yeah but hey we we you, you live by the friday update you die by the friday update oh shit because this isn't gonna oh man what's gonna happen to guam i hope nothing yeah, so this sounds like we're about to sign off. I feel like we're at the point where we should sign off, John. Am I wrong about that? You're so right. So, if the world hasn't been taken over by Nazis, uh, if you want to send us an email, you can correspond with us at zerocreditsisapodcast at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts. Send us your, your treatises. Send us your links to, to fringe internet websites purporting an ideology that no one can get behind. Yeah, that sounds great. And if you want to send something shorter, like just like an insult or even like a compliment, you can hit us up on Twitter at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. Which stands for? That stands for... There's no time for games, John. Get get in the helicopter. We gotta get out of here. You're so right. And if you want to watch us get in a helicopter in a video game, we uh, twitch.tv slash zero credits. We'll stream... Yeah, we will stream. <laughs> That's a promise. We and are we are we are in a stream at will state. Yeah, that means we stream at will and you guys can fire us for streaming at will. Yeah, and I mean if Will doesn't like it, that's that's his shit. That's his problem. And if you happen to have a Facebook, you can find us on Facebook by searching for Zero Credits Podcast in the Facebook search bar. 
And lastly, and most importantly, which I don't know why this one is last since it's most important and people have probably turned it off already, but you should uh, you should comment and leave a rating on iTunes and tell your friends about it, because that's the only way to spread the podcast, and I mean that with all my heart. Maybe we should condense this just into the, the like and share on iTunes and the... I don't know. Who cares? Uh, anyway... You know, they haven't they haven't tu- they haven't turned this off yet because they always stay after the song for the little little stinger that I do. Oh, our little treat. Yeah, the little treat I leave for the the, the diehard fans. Boy, your guys are sure in for a little treat tonight. Oh yeah, it's gonna be a good one. Oh, it's gonna be one of the best, one of the best things. The- we did this whole thing before the uh, before the podcast started rolling. It was hilarious. Yeah, and I really feel like we're going to get nominated for a potty. <laughs> <laughs> because of the, the podcast Emmy, but potty. Yeah, the potty. Yeah. You know, we've always a always a potty bridesmaid, never a potty bride. That's how it goes in the wild world of everyone here at the Zero Credit Series Studios says goodbye. Goodbye from Westworld, I'm a robot. And from Eastworld, I'm a roaster. <laughs> Bye. So what do we what should we do for the stinger? Uh You're a bear, Harry Potter. A goddamn bear. You would think the Dursleys would mention something about you being a fucking bear. You have been invited to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and being a goddamn bear. (laughs) What house are you in? Bear house. There are two kinds of magical people. Witches and goddamn bears. It's, uh... It's true. Hey, you're in uh, in book three where they had the Try Goddamn Bear Tournament. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> there were just bears. There were just bears. Remember that, that one scene where it was Hermione who was a witch and Ron and Harry which were two goddamn bears? It was classic. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that now for some reason. <laughs> just like, just witches and bears. Yeah, I I think we can make that happen. Oh. Let's start this goddamn podcast.